Today, I'd like to introduce you to Emily Edgeley. Emily is a public speaking coach and her passion is helping people turn their fear of public speaking into excitement and leverage the power of storytelling to captivate, engage and inspire. Emily actually started her career in technology and cybersecurity with qualifications in mathematics. In our chat today, we dive into her career story of how she not only added storytelling and public speaking to her talent stack, but turned it into a business that's had amazing success since launching this year. Emily and I worked together for her personal branding photography to launch her website earlier this year, and she was also one of my support crew who helped me get stage ready for my first international talk at HR Festival Asia in Singapore. She helped me with a part that I found the hardest, which was to create a really strong open and close for my talk. And you can just imagine my relief when Emily's suggestions were just the finishing touches I needed to finalize my talk whilst juggling an intense work schedule and needing to prepare for my flight at the same time. Now, if I can do it, so can you. And I hope today's interview with Emily will encourage you to believe in yourself, believe in your message and leverage some of the tips that we share in this interview to start crafting and sharing your story. Enjoy this episode. This is Ishan Chen and you're listening to Digital Learners, the podcast focused on helping you leverage new ways of learning to build your talent stack and create a more fulfilling career. I'll share my personal journey as well as stories from people who are challenging the status quo in how they learn, network and shape their career. The future of work is the future of learning. You never know what you might discover if you try something new. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for getting up early to record this podcast with me on the other side of the world while you're on holiday. Thank you so much. No problem. All good. <laughs> um, I'd love for you to kick off with a brief introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Emily Edgeley and I'm currently a public speaking coach. So if I take you all the way back to university, I think that's really where it all started. So I started a pure mathematics degree out of school because I just loved numbers. That was really the only thing that I knew that I loved. So I just followed my heart at that point in time. And after I finished my maths degree, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I knew I didn't want to be a teacher. Uh, and I knew, yeah, I didn't really want to get into, you know, accounting. So I chose to study cybersecurity because I had heard or I had gone to a presentation where people were talking about cryptography, uh, which is the art art of concealing information. And to me, that was super interesting. So I decided to do a master's of information security. And out of that, I was really lucky to land really my dream job at the time, which was a risk analyst at one of the big banks. Wow. And I spent, yeah, it was really fantastic at the time, to be honest. And I spent nine years in cybersecurity roles uh, and towards the end, I was managing the group risk profile for the whole bank, which was amazing. But, but? I started to get, <laughs> yeah, there is a bit of a but. I started to get a feeling that my passion for security was 
waning. And the reason that I got an inkling was that in security, like a lot of other professions, you have to maintain international accreditations, or you don't have to, but obviously if you want to do well, you do. And instead of wanting to go to security sessions after work or listen to different webinars, I was choosing to listen to webinars about humans and people and human behavior and how the mind works and about public speaking and so I started to realize that if I was at that point where I was going to have to rush to get my accreditations finished maybe that was a good indication that my passion just really wasn't there anymore Mm. so but I was you know how people get to those points where you really just don't know what next and for me I had to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of copies of different people and I decided to broaden my career at that point because I knew that I wanted to potentially run my own business at some point. So I chose to go into a very broad role which was an operations role. It was it was managing at the digital uh, area of one of the banks and that was great because it was giving me a wide range of experience with things like finance, vendor management, people management, reporting, etc. And at the time that I was making that transition, I was also on a few different things or committees. I was on a Toastmasters committee and I was also on a board that was helping to get women into IT and I was managing their mentoring program at the time. Mm. And these things I was doing in my spare time were giving me so much more value and joy and purpose than anything I had ever done in my paid paid career yeah and that was also another sort of pivotal point for me to realize that where I'm spending time and not getting paid is where I'm actually happiest and where I'm getting paid which was a very good salary wasn't really giving me that that passion every day Mm -hmm. so I started to do a little bit more and, and, you know, spend more time then in helping people with public speaking and I was running my own workshops and then I started to grow that side of things and I started to do my first storytelling workshop for a company outside of ANZ and I started to do my first international storytelling session which was last year in April. How did you go from being part of a Toastmasters committee member to running your storytelling workshop? How did that transition happen? It it was very easy, to be honest. So I, as part of a Toastmasters committee, you're already essentially like a mini public speaking coach. Right. Because you're having to build programs to make sure that people get the most out of it. And... As part of it, I was mentoring people to help them on their journey. So you get to understand, one, how important public speaking is to other people. You get to understand what that public speaking is a skill that can be learned, Mm -hmm. another thing. And you also get to learn how people need to be supported along the way. And I think there was another point where I went to my own storytelling workshop, sorry, that I attended, And after that storytelling workshop, I just shared the knowledge in a session. 
Yeah. And it just organically grew after that. So I did one session and then people heard about it and they said, oh, I heard about that session. I didn't get to attend or my colleague went, can you run another session? Yeah. And so I ran another session and then uh, more senior people wanted to come and they said, would you run it for the executive leadership team? And so wow. we ran one for the executive leadership team. And then it, it just organically grew from that. So then it went to, okay, well, what about going to India to tell – to uh, you know, train the people in India or go to China to train the people in China. Wow. And when I was in China, which was April last year, one other fateful event happened, which was someone contacted me on LinkedIn and asked me if I could be their coach in storytelling. And they, they mentioned, would you know, could they pay me to do it? And at the time, I remember thinking, what? Pay me? <laughs> Are you serious? And because I just, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'd never really thought about a career in it. Mm. And at that point, I, I, obviously, I was like, oh, God, how much could I charge? I'm just not even ready for this question. And I did go on to, that was my, ended up being my first paid client. And at work at the time, we were going through a very big restructure. And yes, we, were, yeah. we were presented with three options. One was to apply for our own job. And when I say apply, it was along with potentially four or 5,000 other people. Hmm. I could apply for another job yeah. or I could take a voluntary redundancy, which would come along with the package. Hmm. And I really didn't feel ready to leave. I didn't feel like I could go out on my own and start this as a commercial business at all. But I think what really helped was that person that had contacted me. Yes. So I had some inkling yeah. that there was a demand for this and that yeah. people saw me as some sort of an expert and that people would potentially pay me. Mm. And so after a couple of months of debating on the decision, I decided, look, if, if I've been in this organisation for 11 years and I don't feel ready to leave now, when on earth will I leave? Yes, and it was really yeah. just a fear thing that was holding me back. So I decided just take the leap. Yep. And in December, I left my corporate banking career and started what I'm doing now, which is to help other people become better presenters. Mm, and to awesome. be honest, it, it, it has been the best decision I have ever made. Yes, and you've had such an amazing launch already. Like I, I uh, tuned into your first masterclass, which sold out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so exciting. <laughs> Thank you. So, actually, one of the questions I wanted to squeeze in, because you mentioned you delivered storytelling workshops to the senior mm -hmm. level as well as to you know different cultural settings as well. Sure. Would you say there were like what did you have to tweak, or were they essentially you know the essence of a good story is about the same, no matter what level you are yeah. or no matter what culture you're from. Yeah, it's a really good question. To be honest, everyone loves a story. And I think that's the biggest misconception out there that if you're talking to, say, a child versus some, uh, say, a junior person at work versus an, a senior executive, that you need to tailor your story. Hmm. You don't because people just love stories. It's, it's how we're wired to, hmm. to want to receive information. Hmm. So, how I deliver my storytelling definitely doesn't change when I'm talking to senior per people versus junior people. But it's interesting that you talk about the cultural element because 
when I went to India, I actually do believe that some cultures are better at storytelling than others, just naturally. Mm-hmm. And and I do I did feel like Indians are just very good. They're just natural storytellers. Right. So so for them, they they wanted more, whereas, say, potentially in Australia or in China, they're happy with some of the real fundamentals of storytelling, whereas for, for Indians, they, they naturally do it. So they were looking more about how to apply it in a work context rather than knowing how to tell a story. Interesting. Fascinating. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, many of us are good at what we do in our profession, but we are terrified of getting in front of the room, let alone getting on stage for something bigger in terms of a speaking opportunity. Can you take us behind the scenes of how you work with your clients? Because it's obviously Mm. grown since that first person who reached out to you now. How Mm. do you, what are some of the, yeah, sort of people who are reaching out to work with you? What kind of speaking opportunities are are they trying to get stage ready Mm. for? And how do you help them get ready? Yeah. So, I have a range of people that do come to me. At the moment, I'm doing a lot of work for people that are wanting to prepare to talk at a conference. So that could either be people that have never spoken at a conference before Mm -hmm. and are going to potentially go interstate for for a conference or people that have spoken before but really want to amp up their presentation and be seen as a thought leader and a sought after speaker. Mm. So there are also a couple of people that do come to me that they don't want specific help on a conference. They just want to be either better storytellers or they want to crush their fear so that they can even get up in front of a group of people and Mm. talk. Mm. So it does really range the the different types of people that, that do come to me. But what I do do a lot of work with people on is one is videoing them. So for a lot of people, they have never been videoed before. So they've never seen themselves on video and they've never received any formal feedback from someone on their strengths and development areas. So that's one of the, the biggest and the most important thing I do along the journey with them. The mm. second thing that I do with them is to teach them the fundamentals because I like to describe it to people in a bit of an analogy and I'll share that with you now. So people will say, oh, yeah, how do I combat my nerves? And one of the biggest things that I talk about is this is I want you to imagine that you're or or when you're cooking for yourself, Mm -hmm. you don't get nervous, right? Yeah. You know, like no one gets nervous when you cook yourself. But if you cook for, you know, your partner, maybe you think a bit more about it. If you're cooking for, you know, 10 people, if you have a dinner party coming up, you know, you might plan it out in a bit more detail. And then if I told you, okay, you've got to cook for 100 or 200 or 500 of the top chefs in the industry, that's when you'd start to get really stressed and and anxious (laughs) and nervous about it, right? So I think as as things like that extrapolate, it's natural to get nervous. But then if I I tell you that I'll work with you Mm. to figure out an amazing menu Mm-hmm. It's going to have seasonal ingredients and we know that they're going to love it. That's one thing. The second thing is then I will work with you to cook that menu over and over again so that you perfect it and then you know how 
what bits you may be struggling with, you know, what bits you find easy, the bits you're struggling with, maybe bits of the dessert, you keep refining that. And so that on the day when you've got to cook for these hundreds of people, you can feel calm and confident that you have an amazing menu and that you've cooked it before and you know mm. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't be nervous on the day or have a little bit of nerves, but it goes a long way to controlling what you may be feeling when people say, oh, you've got to cook for 100 chefs. Yeah. So I like to think about it as the same is that a lot of times people are scared or worried that they're going to stuff up. Yeah. And a lot of the reason of why they think they're going to stuff up is they're underprepared or they feel like are they actually adding value. So mm-hmm. a lot of what we work on is both content and it's both delivery and there's also a mindset element. Oh, it sounds awesome because, yeah, I have to say you've been such an amazing help with me with my talk for HR Festival Asia. You helped me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really with open <laughs> and close with a strong, you know, strong opening and strong close mm. with the talk because that was the part I really struggled with because I think, you yeah. know, everybody has a structure that they kind of know what they want to get out there, but then yes. how do you convince them in the first five minutes and then leave mm. them an impression at the end that will you know, yeah. help them remember what you said? <clears throat> yeah. It's not easy for someone, like, to, like, it's totally different when you're planning yes. what you want to say in a work situation versus getting up there for a 20-minute talk. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is, though, that when you learn how to do it well, it's actually when you look back, you think, and I hear a lot of people say this, and I know I did myself, it's like, oh, that's so, it makes so much sense. Yeah. Like, oh, that, that, yeah, that's so, so sort of simple. So the techniques that you learn are are, are nothing extraordinary, but once you apply them, mm. they can absolutely transform the way that you come across and the way that people will engage with what you're saying. Yeah. In fact, on my to-do list is to actually tailor the talk that I gave in Singapore for an Australian audience because I did have to do uh, incorporate a lot of research um, to yes. make it relevant for their work culture, yes. which is very different here. So I almost yeah. feel like I need a do-over with certain parts of that talk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. So when I when I uh, finally have some bandwidth, <laughs> mm. that's on my to do list actually. To-do list. So early on, you spoke about how you improved your own storytelling, and um, you talk about videoing and so forth. What are some of the things mm-hmm. that you found really life changing? Was it videos that you watched, or what? What was some of the preparation? that you went through in your own transformation into becoming a communicator? Yeah. The most important things are, so (laughs) learning that you have to make a point, and I know that's probably going to sound extremely basic, was so life-changing for me because before I had done what I see a lot of people do in that they talk about something. So they'll talk on a topic, they'll, they'll try and give people information, but they won't actually make a point. So for me, realising that I need to make a point was honestly mind-blowing and I know that probably sounds really strange, but that, that changes how you approach your presentation in every single way. So that was number one. 
The second thing was when I went to the storytelling workshop and then following that when I did the advanced storytelling series as part, as part of Toastmasters. For someone that is very logical and structured and who used to pride themselves on communicating almost in thought point form even when I was talking, <laughs> that was also really life-changing for me, learning that I could get better at storytelling and that there was a formula. I just loved that. So that would be the, the, the second thing. And my, my presentations just transformed as soon as I started to, to learn and implement using stories. Yeah. So, I, you know, I might have had uh, people that, that understood what I was saying, but after that I, would, I had people crying in some of my sessions when I was doing an emotional talk. I had people oh. laughing in sessions. Yes. I had people coming up to me saying, you're so inspiring. I can relate exactly to what you're talking about, yeah. which I can tell you I never had before. And then the third thing <laughs> would be, the third thing would be just practicing. Yeah. So getting up and having multiple opportunities to get up and and get feedback yeah was like nothing else there's this uh culture in toastmasters where we call feedback a gift okay well at least in our club and really we did see that as such a gift that you're giving someone if you're giving them constructive feedback and that's something that i implement with my clients and they really love it one of the things that they say they love the most is the fact that they've been given all this feedback about their profile as a speaker. Yes. So, yeah, that that is fundamental. If you don't know what you're doing well and what you need to improve on, how can you keep getting better? I can't remember the breakdown that you shared with me. So before mm-hmm. when we were discussing how we might have structured a, um, you know, a multi-session arrangement mm. in getting me a stage, can you... Is that the same approach that you take for all of your clients or it depends on what they're looking for? Uh, to be honest, it, it's it's pretty much the same and unless if people just want to go through a few things, then they don't go through my multi-session package. But yeah. if, they, if they want to improve, you have to start from the basics because if people don't understand things like how to define an objective, yeah. then they can't structure their presentation to meet the objective. And if people want work on slides and they're already at that point, but they haven't structured their presentation, then the slides are going to be yeah. all over the place or, yeah. or just um, a bit of a mishmash. So, yeah. yeah, I definitely take people through the same approach and make them go right back to the start. Yeah. So if you can just take people through for those who don't know how your packages yeah. are structured. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, the first session that I take people through is much more an exploratory session. Mm-hmm. So it's about understanding their speaking history. Uh, it's really important to know what, what good experiences they've had, what bad experiences they've had, mm. and what they're trying to achieve. So that's fundamental because everyone is looking for help in different areas. So as an example, some people might have trouble getting to a point. They feel like they talk and they talk and they talk. And they can talk around something but never really concisely say something. (laughs) Whereas other people might be very logical and structured and uh, want to elaborate and provide more colour and detail. Or some people want help on their nerves. So it's great to know because then I can focus more on those Mm, sections. mm. So, So that's really the first one. And then we do the baseline video. 
So that's where I get to, before I go into any content, I get get people to go through a presentation they've already done before. And I go through then a whole heap of feedback on various areas. So from things like, have you defined an objective and how clear was it through to how well did you structure your presentation, Mm. your body language, eye contact, etc. So we go through all of that and I, and I, I think people find that a real positive as well because I always make sure it's very clear what are your three strengths as a speaker already because mm. the people already mm. always have it might be that they show passion with their voice already it might be that they're really good with their gestures it might be that they're just a natural storyteller yeah. it might be that they add humor without even realizing so I go mm. through that and then I go through people's top three development areas so it's very clear for us okay for you these are the top three things that are going to drastically improve you as a speaker then we go on to the things like objectives so how do you define an objective so that you can be the most influential as you can possibly be for your particular audience and then we go through things like how do you structure a presentation And when we go through these, we actually go through it with the presentation in mind. Mm -hmm. So whether someone has a conference coming up or an event, or even if they don't, I get them to to use a mock presentation Mm. because it's all about how people apply it. So we go through and structure their particular presentation. And then we go through things like storytelling. And we go through things like how to do a creative opening and a creative closing Mm, mm. and visual aids and when i say visual aids it doesn't just mean slides but it could be slides and then we go through the delivery related aspects so things like body language vocal variety handling nerves and then how you practice and once we've gone through all of those fundamental areas and the presentation is coming to life i then videotape people twice again and we refine the presentation until we get to a point where they're they've got an amazing presentation and they understand how to implement every part of the process and they can do that for a presentation or really any presentation that they have coming up in the future That's amazing because I can imagine like when you attend conferences, you just assume that that person just, you know, you, you just assume that they were natural at it. But what you don't see is probably all that preparation mm. that goes behind. Um, and, you know, if I couldn't do it, then so can many other people. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, the good, the good news is, is it really is a skill that you can learn. It's not a skill you're born with. And I have had so many conversations with even very senior executives or people that are amazing at presenting. And all of them confessed to me that they were terrible at the start. Yeah. Literally terrible. Even if you look into famous people, Warren Buffett used to throw up before he would present. <laughs> he was that nervous. And then he put himself through a public speaking course and after that, he just kept practicing and practicing and practicing. And now, I mean, if you see him, you would have no idea yeah. that he wasn't, was just, that he, you know, wasn't born that way. So I think that has always given me confidence. And the more I go on, the more people disclose that to me. And the more I realize that no one starts off naturally being good at presenting, or maybe only 1% of people. Mm. 
So that's a good segue to my next question. So for someone who doesn't feel like they're naturally good communicators, what's one thing you'd like people to take away from today in terms of how we can all become better communicators? Yeah. The the most important thing which people need to do, and I'll, I'm actually going to give two tips here. The most important thing that people need to think about is what point are they trying to make? And <laughs> so simple but so important. Really simple, <laughs> but I can guarantee you of all the people that I work with, nobody before I work with them is clear on that. Mm. So whether they've got a talk coming up, they're clear about what they're talking about. Mm. They're not clear about what they're wanting out of that or what their audience would get out of it. And it doesn't matter if you're giving a conference presentation or if you're giving a very small update to a team. You need to put yourself in the audience's shoes and think about what are they going to get out of it. Mm. And an update, uh, sorry, an objective is not that I want everyone to follow me on social media because that's a very inward and egotistical objective. That's an outcome. It's like saying I want to start a business, but I want to, and when you say, well, what is your business going to do? I'll make money. It's like that's a, that's a benefit. What's yeah. the purpose of your business? It's the mm. same when you're presenting. The, of course, if you're amazing, the outcome is everyone's going to follow you on social media. But what are you giving to your audience? Yeah, That's a value because they're giving you their time. So that would be number one. And the second other tip that I'm going to give is almost equally as important, which is talk to people in the way that they want to be talked to. So 65% of general conversation is stories and gossip. <laughs> now, why then would you, if you're getting into a formal setting, switch that around and talk to people in a way that they don't want to be talked to? People yeah. want, uh, people are curious. They, they naturally want to hear about the human element. They want to, to relate to something. So tell them the experiences that relate to what you're talking about. If you've, if you've had an experience with something, and it's made you passionate about that topic, tell people about that. So essentially learn to become a good storyteller. That would be my second point. That's fantastic. Now, where can people find you online, Emily? Yeah. So I'm most active on LinkedIn and then on Instagram, but people can also find me on Facebook just under Emily Edgley. So my surname is E-D-G-E-L-E-Y. People sometimes forget the additional E. Or my website is, I'm assuming by the time that this podcast goes live, it will be up because it's imminent in the next couple of days. It's just emilyedgeley.com. Fantastic. And um, and if people want to work with you for one-on-one coaching, they can also find details of that on your website? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah all the details are on my website. And I do post regular content online. So if people want to know about my most recent launches that I'm having because I'm about to launch a group coaching program they'll be able to find that as well the details on either social media or on my website you're doing such an amazing job I'm so excited for you it's only been like the first few months since launch I mean you have your website's not even up but you're already like you know selling out your master classes you've already got clients that is such an amazing yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you so much for today Emily Thank you, Shane. 
That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would rate, review and subscribe and let me know if this has helped you in any way in shaping your career goals. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram and Facebook where you can find us at Digital Learners Podcast and you can find show notes for every episode at digitallearners.co.